This is Dear Analyst, episode number 40. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about an Excel error from a paper by Carmen Reinhardt and Kenneth Rogoff from the American Economic Review Journal. There's an Excel error in their model, and I'm going to talk about how you can, what they could have done to fix this error, and so that it didn't influence the results in the paper. So before I get into the actual Excel file, um, I ha the, the link to the Google Sheets file is in the show notes. I want to kind of give you some background about this, this paper, why it was important, and a rundown of the Excel errors or spreadsheet errors that led to the results from the paper being very highly criticized and ultimately influenced a lot of economic and political decisions around the world. So it's January 4th, 2010, and the Professor Carmen Reinhardt, uh, who is the former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund, and, oh, sorry, and Ken Rogoff was the former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund. They are at a conference, and they're presenting their paper called growth in a time of debt. And if you think back to 2010, we're kind of just coming back from the financial crisis. And in this paper, in the growth in a time of debt paper, they argue that economic, economic growth slows dramatically when the size of a country's debt goes above 90% of GDP. And so intuitively, this story might make sense if your if your country's uh, debt to GDP ratio goes about 90 percent. You're uh, taking out a lot of uh, you're taking a lot of debt, and you're not generating enough revenue from your tax base, and this could lead to may lead to economic slowdown. So it seems like a a story that you can buy, and essentially this paper was meant to prove that point. And so as uh, Reinhardt and Rogoff were presenting this paper, policymakers were very drawn to this number of 90% uh, debt-to-GDP ratio. And so this, this paper got widely circulated because people were talking about, uh, you know, if, you, if, you're, if my country's debt-to-GDP ratio is above 90%, I perhaps need to implement some austerity measures. And this happened a lot in the UK and the Eurozone, where um, a lot of countries essentially their unemployment rates skyrocketed because they were increasing taxes, they were cutting government spending in order to lower that, that ratio. So it did have a lot of impact around these different economies right after the recession. Around the same, so this is 2010, and then a couple of years later in 2013, there were a few students at the university, PhD students at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and they were tasked with doing an, a graduate assignment. And one student by the name of Thomas Herndon, he was, he had, he was working on this project. And the project, again, uh, from the professor was to pick an economics paper. And the PhD student needs to replicate the results and try to basically do a backwards look to see how the original authors of the paper came to the results. And Lo and behold, the PhD student Thomas Herndon, he picked Reinhardt and Rogoff's 
growth in a time of debt paper. And so the the Herndon and the professor, they're working on trying to replicate the results, and they couldn't really replicate the results. They couldn't get the Excel model essentially to tie and to and to output the same numbers that Reinhard and Rogoff had originally published in 2010. And this really puzzled them because they knew that this paper had such an impact on all these different economies, on different economic and political policies around the world. And they thought, the students thought they were just not doing it correctly. And, you know, it was just a tough assignment. And maybe they just weren't, you know, using the right statistical models or, you know, using or crunching the data on Excel correctly. And they just couldn't replicate the results. But they kept on pushing through. And ultimately, what happened was they discovered multiple errors in Reinhardt and Rogoff's original Excel model for finding, for calculating these debt to GDP ratios. And uh, what they did was they actually ended up publishing another paper. Uh, let me see if I can get the name of it. This paper, kind of like a paper in response to growth in a time of debt. And the paper was called, uh, Does High Public Debt Consistently Stifle Economic Growth? A Critique of Reinhardt and Rogoff. So it's kind of like their response to their, um, their paper. And in it, they discovered quite a few problems with the model, again, that, that, uh, that Reinhardt and Rogoff published. So here are, a few of the run, here are a few of the problems that they discovered. And I'm only going to walk through one of them in the actual uh, Google Sheets example, but I think it's in, informative and instructive to kind of like learn about uh, what these errors are, errors are so that you can avoid them in your own spreadsheets. Okay, so number one, uh, the first error they discovered, and I'll actually link to a, a YouTube video I found that actually shows all these three different examples really well. And I think it's really, uh, this YouTube video walks through all the different, um, these three different errors. And I would highly recommend watching this if you want to get the full kind of rundown of what Herndon and um, among others found in, in, the, in Reinhardt and Rogoff's paper. So number one, they found that the Reinhardt and Rogoff selectively excluded certain years of high debt and average growth from their summary table. So I think specifically it was from the, so they had basically taken this large data set, I mean, it was roughly 2,000 rows or so, and they're looking at growth rates, GDP growth rates from 1946 up until 2009. And they had selectively excluded a few years of data from New Zealand. And New Zealand, during those few years, I think it was between 1945 and 1951, had high numbers, had high growth rates, because it was right coming after, right after World War II. Um, and those numbers were excluded for, for reasons that Reinhardt and Rogoff said were because they couldn't verify the validity of the data. But since they excluded those growth rate numbers, uh, New Zealand's growth rate, GDP growth rates for um, periods where they were 90% and above in terms of debt to GDP 
really brought down that um, the growth rate number to, into the negative territory, which obviously impacts the total average for all the countries in the world. So you can already see how just excluding data from your averages can be a very big error in your Excel file. So that was number one. And again, to the um, the students weren't sure if they did it on purpose or if it was just like a simple mistake, but they definitely found that there were certain numbers missing from uh, New Zealand um, among other countries. Number two was they used a very vanilla and kind of like simple way to average um, all the growth rates across all the countries for all the years of data. And it, it didn't properly account for different weights for different countries. Uh, countries. So in the summary table in the Excel file, which you'll see in a bit, the the numbers are the numbers come are again growth rates, GDP growth rates from nineteen forty six all the way through two thousand nine. So if when when they calculated the final results for all the countries, they're basically summar they're averaging all the growth rates for all these different so they have different buckets of growth rates. So they have if your country was had 30% or less uh, debt to GDP percentage, that was in one bucket. And then if in the 30% or less, if your G debt to GDP ratio was 30 to 60%, that was another bucket. And so they're basically averaging all these numbers across all countries for these four different buckets. Now the problem is if, if Finland only had one uh, data point for the 90% and above bucket, this is like in the, kind of that dangerous territory where your debt to GDP ratio is 90%. If Finland only had one year of, of data, but Germany had 19 years of GDP growth rates for that same bucket, the average is taking is averaging Finland's number plus Germany's 19 year number an aggregate. And so they're not properly, they did not properly weigh Germany's 19 years of data with Finland's one year of data. Now they could have done some, I think they were talking about, they could have done some episodic type of weigh, weighing so that Germany would get more weight in that regard, in that scenario versus Finland. But for the purposes of Reinhardt and Rogoff's paper, they just took a straight average and did not account for how many years of data these countries had in order to calculate the like total worldwide average for these given buckets of debt to GDP ratio. So that was number two. And then the third Excel snafu, and this is probably the one that's that's kind of um, cited the most in some of the some of the, the articles I've read, is that they excluded they just straight up excluded some of the high debt um, growth rates for for some of these countries. And you'll see this is the this is actually be the Excel kind of error that I, I talk about in the um, I'm going to walk through in terms of how to actually prevent this kind of error happening in your spreadsheet. But they straight up just did not take an average of certain rows of data, and that obviously is going to impact the numbers because you're excluding certain countries. And in the Excel file, you'll see that these countries um, are highlighted in yellow, and so, the, so these are the three main errors that um, the uh, Herndon and others found in Reinhard Rogoff's um, paper. And 
this resulted in kind of like a little bit of a skirmish between Herndon, Ash, and Poland from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, with Reinhard Rogoff's um, original paper. And let me just try to find, there's an interesting quote that uh, that they talk about here. Hold on one second. Um, in other words, okay, so here we go. The... The, this is what their this is what Reinhardt and Rogoff's response was to their their to Herndon, Ash, and Poland's paper. So they say, on a cursory look, this is Reinhardt and Rogoff's in response to their paper. On a cursory look, it seems that the Herndon, Ash, and Poland also find lower growth when debt is over ninety percent. These results are, in fact of a similar order of magnitude to the detailed country-by-country country results we present in Table 1 of the American Economic Review paper and to the median results in Figure 2, and they are similar to estimates in much of the large and growing literature, including our own attached August 2012 Journal of Economic Perspectives paper. However, the, however these strong similarities are not what these authors chose to, to emphasize. The... I think there's another quote that I find interesting. Let me hold on, let me try to find it here. So I'm trying to like bounce between different uh, different different papers that I've come across because there's so much really interesting interesting data. Here we go. So they also Reinhardt and Rogoff also say, and, and basically trying to defend themselves, it is hard to see how one can interpret these corrected tables and individual country results as showing that public debt overhang over 90% is clearly benign. So in that one statement alone, Reinhard and Rogoff already kind of demonstrate that they have a bias towards the, um, the results that they were trying to show in their in their paper, and that they wanted to show that just having 90% and above debt-to-GDP ratio is kind of like a, you know, a not benign thing. It's a bad thing. And interestingly, a lot of economic economists are saying that the opposite is true, where while Reinhard and Rogoff are trying to claim that high debt-to-GDP leads to or causes slow economic growth. A lot of economists are saying the opposite is actually true in which the, if you have slow um, economic growth, slow GDP growth, that actually causes higher debt and you know, your country takes out uh, more loans and um, there's less tax revenue coming in, so on and so forth. I didn't read the full paper, Reinhard Rogoff's full paper, but apparently they make the claim that they never, they never were proposing that there was a causation of debt to GP and economic growth, but rather that the two variables are associated. And so that's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, depending on how you want to interpret the results, but based on this, this one quote alone and taking out all the context, I kind of are leaning more towards Herndon, Ash, and Poland because of the fact that um, there's a little bit of bias in what the Reinhard and Rogoff are saying in response to their criticism from Ash Poland and Herndon. Uh, they, 
And then just to further kind of drive home the point here, um, the Herndon, the so Herndon Nash Poland, they say the full extent of those errors transforms the reality of modestly diminished average GDP growth rates for countries carrying high levels of debt, public debt, into a false image that high public debt ratios inevitably entail sharp declines in GDP growth. Moreover, as we show, there is a wide range of GDP growth performances at every level of public debt among the 20 advanced economies that Reinhard Rogoff survey. So, you know, I, I didn't look into building out, re-replicating the results from the study, did not obviously try to find the validity of the data that they, Reinhard Rogoff used, but you can see what's going on here is that Reinhard Rogoff published his paper, there are clearly some accelerators. They actually admitted that they made some mistakes with the um, the Excel errors. I'm trying to see if I can find a quote on where they talk about they, they admitted they made the mistakes. Yeah, they say we are, uh, no, they, I can't find the quote. But they, they, they admitted that there were some straight up like Excel mistakes in their in their model. Um, what What their rebuttal is to their criticism is that even though there were Excel errors, by after you fix those errors, the order of magnitude of the results is still in line with what they originally published in their paper in 2010. So for instance, the 90% and above debt to GDP ratio, this is like the overall average is negative 0.1%. Uh, and so that's kind of where they were starting to say that as you get to this higher debt to GDP ratio, you start to see negative growth, even though it's like negative 0.1%, whatever. The correct average is actually positive 2.2%. So in the opposite direction, after you account for the Excel errors. And so you could argue that, yeah, it's kind of like in the same magnitude of, of what they were looking at in terms of growth rates because all the numbers kind of change. But the problem is, and this is more towards like my thinking behind this is once you make a simple, once you, once you've, once it's been proven that you've made a simple Excel error as simply as such as omitting uh, certain countries data points in your results, it kind of just com completely um, invalidates all the, all the uh, results, all the basically points you're trying to make, uh, get across with your, with your paper. You know, I, I think about like, this is just a simple, simple mistake and it just kind of hurts your reputation in a way in terms of like, now you're trying to argue yourself into saying your results are still correct, even though you made these simple, uh, made such a simple blunder. And so it really just kind of disqualifies you and discredits you in basically making assumptions, making claims about what the data is trying to show. And I think back to like, if, um, I mean, this is maybe, you know, the, the political correctness or wokeness of this, um, this example might have changed in the last 15, 20 years, but if any of you remember being interns back in the day, if you're working for a big company, a big corporation, you start off as a lowly intern, you might be unpaid or maybe you know, get a small stipend. And guess what? What do you do when you're first, you're an intern and it's your first day on the job and it's your summer internship? You 
do all the dirty work. You do all the bitch work. You get coffee for people. You um, make copies of of important documents. You are kind of a, cor- a, co- a courier. A courier? Cur- courier? You're basically sending stuff back and forth between different people in the company. And you're basically tasked with like all this minute, stupid work, stupid bitch work. And you're expected to do it correctly. Why do you think we give interns all this all this bitch work? If you can't even get the coffee order right, if you can't even make copies that are properly collated with page numbers, how do we expect to trust you with our financial models? How do we expect you with creating a strategy for our company? How do we expect you to not make an Excel error like Reinhard Rogoff did in their paper? It's all about trust. And so if you can't make these simple simple tasks, you can't do these simple tasks with 100% accuracy, we lose trust in your ability to get coffee correctly and ultimately to do anything important at the company. We lose trust in Reinhard Rogoff when they make simple errors in their paper and those results impact the rest of the, uh, you know, the economy. And their results were, again, I, I mean, I, this is, I write more about this in the show notes, but the results of this paper were a really big deal. It was cited by uh, the um, former Republican nominee for, for the U.S. President's, U.S. Vice Presidency in 2012, Paul Ryan. He proposed um, a budget that cited this 90% GDP, uh, debt to GDP number um, in his 2013 proposed budget. So you have vice presidential candidates citing this paper in their platform. Uh, the Washington Post started talking, mentioning this 90% mark as this like kind of uh, benchmark for where countries can't go past. You have like big newspapers talking about it. And again, I talked about how in the UK and the Eurozone, unemployment rates skyrocketed above 10%. And it actually took a long time for the UK to recover from the financial crisis due to all the um, austerity measures that were in place. You can argue how much impact this paper had, but like, again, when you have this paper and then like there's sound bites that are taken out of it and people start talking about it in the media, a lot of the context around the research is taken away. And all people think about is, or here is 90% debt to GDP, low, G- low growth for my, my country. And then that becomes the the soundbite that's replicated across political candidates, newspapers, articles, and that can lead to incorrect policies, um, such as all these austerity measures that happened um, in the early 2010s that resulted in the eurozone kind of taking a long time, especially in Greek and, Greece and Spain, I believe, where it took a long time to uh, get people uh, to get the country back on its feet, so to speak. So that was a lot of background on the on the problem. Um, you know, the, I talked about a an Excel error fr- um, from J.P. Morgan Chase that led to like a six point two billion dollar loss a few episodes ago. This one I think has a much bigger deal because of how many different countries it potentially could have impacted, and not a lot. I think there's not hasn't been enough emphasis placed on the response by Herndon, Ash, and Poland, Poland to their to Reinhard Rogoff's original paper. A lot of research, a lot of um, papers, videos in the show notes, take a look at that, but now I want to kind of get into 
the Google Sheets uh, file. So if you are just watching the I'm actually going to just show this part of the YouTube video. If you are just watching the YouTube video with this <clears throat> with this spreadsheet error, uh, go to the YouTube video show notes and click on the link to listen to the full podcast episode where I talk about why this problem exists and how we can solve for it. So here is the table. We have countries in column B. We have like the, the years of coverage in column C. Then we have these four buckets for debt to GDP. And the numbers inside the, uh, the cells are GDP, real GDP growth rates. So we have 30% or less, 30 to 60%, 60 to 90, 90% above. I'm actually gonna put up percentages here just so this is very clear that these are percentages. And this is actually almost, this is actually a replica of the actual spreadsheet that Reinhardt and Rogoff showed in their, in their paper. And so the one acceler I want to focus on is the average. So if you look at the incorrect average, let's look at this average, the formula here. It says the average is D5 to D19. So we're looking at the real GDP growth rates for the 30% or less bucket. And you can see how it omits rows 20 to 24 from these, you know, really from these uh, developed countries, Denmark, Canada, Belgium, Austria, and Australia. And you can see how as the percent of debt to GDP goes up in these four buckets, the real GDP growth rate decreases from 4.1 down to negative 0.1%. If you are taking the average, excluding Denmark, Canada, Belgium, Austria, and Australia. Now, the correct average simply looks at all the rows in the table. It's that simple. And my numbers don't actually reflect the actual correct results that Hearn and Nash and Poland talk about in their paper. This 0.3 is actually supposed to be a 2.2, but we're going to omit, forget that for now. But the key point here is that. This number now takes into account the 90% or above average takes into account this 2.6 real GDP growth rate from Belgium. And so we have a positive 0.3% growth. And so this is a really simple Excel error where how do you know that your average is accounting for all the rows in your table if you don't like, if you're not like constantly like checking the formula to see if it's correct, uh, referencing the correct range of cells. So I'm going to propose three different methods that you can use to make sure that your averages are, or even, you know, some formulas are correctly referencing the correct numbers. So number one, and actually, let me just go through the reasons and I'll talk about why people don't do this. So number one, just select these cells and look in the bottom right of your Excel file or your Google Sheets file. Excel automatically gives you the sum or average when you look at, when you select the cells. So if I click on this, I can see average is 0.3, which is the correct number. I can see there's two, the sum is 2.1, all these different you know, statistical uh, calculations. If you just simply select the cells, you can see the number and there's no formulas required, you know, no, nothing super advanced. It's a simple way to do error checking on your numbers. Okay, number two, this is my, actually my preferred way of doing it. And this is actually something I would recommend for 
a lot of the analysts out there who are doing a lot of models is to provide checksums. Now, this is normally done to see if your sums correctly match up. But in this case, we're going to do an average, which is a little different, but it should it, the the concept is still the same. So down here, I'm going to write the word checksum. And this is, again, a way to verify that our sums and averages match up with what we expect. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do equals sum and then sum these numbers up here and then drag this formula to the right. So these numbers just contain all the sums of all my numbers. So you might say, well, how do I make sure, how, how can I verify that this number, this formula correctly references all the correct cells? So there really is no way to to ensure that you've done this correctly also. But hopefully by doing this twice, if you've done it, this is like these two rows right here, the rows 26 and 27, your incorrect and correct averages. That's kind of like your output to your paper and for Reinhard Rogoff. This checksum is purely internal use. And so if you're doing this a second time, hopefully you're not making the same Excel error again. So just go with me, follow along with me here as I do this. So this is the sum of all these cells. And what I, what I like to do and what I've seen a lot is you make these um, kind of a smaller font, maybe make them italicized and also make it kind of like a light gray. So we have these sums, maybe make it a little darker gray. And then we also can do a count. Now I'm going to do the count formula, not count A, because you notice in my data, there's like these not NA values. Count A will count those values. I want to count only the numeric values. So I'm going to select all my cells here, drag this number to the right, whoops, and then apply the same formatting here um, to my count number. All right, so now I have the count, I have the, the sum, and now what I can do is do something called check average. If this is, you can name this whatever you want. Let's apply the formatting again to these as well, paste special format. And what I'm going to do here is say equals if the, if the, I'm going to look at the incorrect average. So equals if incorrect average equals checksum divided by the count, then I can say uh, no error, else error. And what I can do here also is I can do some conditional formatting where I say uh, conditional formatting. Um, let's say if, uh, if cell con text contains uh, exactly, text exactly error, then I'm gonna make this like a, um, a red background, a white font color, done. And you can see right really quickly, what I'm doing here is if I see that, what I'm basically looking here is checking to see if my incorrect average, which is, we know it's, it's bad, if it does not match the checksum divided by the count, then we get an error. And why is this important? So if you are do, looking at building this model out and you see these giant red error boxes, you already know that there's something wrong with your, your averages. So obviously if I move this reference down by one to, to D27, I get no error, right? 
so that, that this is kind of like the power of using this error checking for, uh, kind of visual notification. It's a way for you as a modeler to know that whether or not your actual summary output is matching up with what you expect by comparing the output with like these checksum values. Now you could actually put a lot of what's what's usually more common is you actually will put these numbers, the checksum plus the count, inside this formula. So instead of doing D20, D28 divided by D29, I could do sum here. And then represents this will be count, right? Because that's, that's just the count of my numbers. Whoops, let's see here. And this will have the same, oh, actually, what did I do something wrong here? Count, oh, it's an extra equals here. And then in this way, I can actually delete these two rows. And this, it's like a one kind of one row to see whether or not I made an error in my in my formula. So if I make this correct equals average, then you'll see that I get no error down here. And this course matches up our correct average. So I'm going to leave this here for the, uh, for the kind of purposes of the th this exercise, but using these check sum and check average kind of notifications gives you a quick visual indicator of whether or not your actual table output is correct. Now the final one, and this is something I don't do too often, but the final one is just do a simple pivot table. You select the entire table, data, pivot table, create. And the pivot table is kind of like a simple way of letting you know if you're also on the right track. So for my rows, I'm going to say country. And then for values, I'm going to say 30% or less. These are, are again, our um, debt to... GDP buckets. Let's do the last one. Insert above. And the key thing here is I'm going to do change all these to average. Average. Sorry, no, my, my screen is super zoomed in here. Average. And there we go. So we have the average numbers, but the important thing is I can go down to my last grand total row and that I can compare these numbers. I'm going to copy, do a copy and paste values here. I can compare these numbers and see if that these four numbers match up with what I expect and it matches up with my correct average. And if I don't see that they match up with my incorrect average, then I can obviously, I obviously know there's something wrong with my Excel formula because I did not reference all the cells in my table correctly. So the pivot table is a way to do this because you're hopefully selecting the entire table to build a pivot table. And then you can do these grant grand average totals to figure out if you are uh, doing this correctly. So those are the three different methods I would use to fix this simple Excel coding error when you are not sure if you've correctly referenced the proper rows in your table. Okay, uh, for the second half of this episode, I'm going to talk about a few things that I came across recently that... Um, other episodes, other podcasts I listen to that I think are interesting. The first one is actually a blog post I came across, and this is actually something that was shared internally in my team. It was a, it's also kind of about Excel and some of the downfalls of um, Excel, but the, the article is from The Verge, and it's called Scientists Rename Human Genes to Stop Microsoft Excel from Misreading Them as Dates. So the, the issue here is that 
when a lot of um, human gen genome researchers are putting data into their Excel file, the genes that they're putting into the Excel file look something like Mar capital March 1. Um, I'm trying to find some examples here. They're like, yeah, March 1, um, like uh, maybe April 1 or something. But March 1 actually represents a human gene. But what happens is if you put March 1 into an Excel file, Excel automatically converts March 1, the text, into March 1, the date. And you'll see in the GIF in the show notes, ends up being March 1 becomes 1-MAR. And even if you correct the formatting for that column to, you know, output text instead of date, you have to re-input the data in again. And, you know, if you're a human genetic researcher, you may not be using Excel all day. And even if you correct the data, if you export the data to CSV, the next researcher who opens up the Excel file in Excel as a CSV, they're going to experience the same auto-date formatting um, auto date formatting Excel feature that forces March 1 to render as a date 1-mar um, or whatever. And this is obviously a huge, huge um, issue for the human genetic like uh, committee, or let me see here, the Hugo Gene Nomenclature Committee, HENC. They announced, this was in, uh, actually just like recently in the last few weeks, they announced that they're going to rename human genes so that they don't result in errors in Excel. So March 1 has been renamed to March F1. And there, there's another gene named SCPT1 has been renamed to SCPTIN1 because March F1 obviously won't coerce into a date. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, we're, this is a super important scientific community um, around the human genome that is updating the name of genes simply because this tool that everyone uses to analyze genetic results, namely Excel, Google Sheets, whatever, is improperly formatting the, the gene text as a date. So hopefully you don't experience this in your own field, and it, hopefully it's not a very important field as human genetics, but I thought it was a, uh, it was a really interesting kind of compromise that the, uh, the Hugo Gene Nomenclature Committee did to uh, help fix this systemic uh, issue with the way researchers are analyzing human genetic data. The second episode I wanted to talk about is episode 948 from um, This Week in Startups with Jason Calacanis. And he spe he's speaking with HackerOne CEO Martin Mikos. And they talk about a lot in this episode. Uh, Martin Mikos is uh, CEO of HackerOne. And he talks about security vulnerabilities, security breaches. These are all things that HackerOne focuses on as a company. But around minute 30, they talk about how open source is actually open source uh, code, open source frameworks, technology is a really important uh, movement and, and initiative for the Internet. And we all know this because, you know, without open source, HTTP, TCPIP, all these protocols would not be um, available to everyone in the world. Um, but because of it, we all have this common language we can have in terms of like sending files back and forth between um, different servers and clients. And they talk about how, uh, Martin talks about how if you create systems, software 
that are closed and you're selectively excluding other countries, other companies from taking part with your initiative, they might actually come up with a competitive solution where you have no insight into what they're building. And I think they bring up like the whole like 5G, what Huawei is doing in the US and blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was an interesting frame of looking at open source in terms of like looking at competitive information. It's almost like what they, I think what they're hinting at is instead of pushing for, you know, I have my own proprietary software, my own proprietary frameworks, my own proprietary data, you actually want to keep your competitors kind of close to the chest and engage them more. And the way you can do this is through open source technologies, through open source code, because now you can kind of see what your competitors are doing and using um, as they're building out their own products. And I think about like just simply something simple as simple as SQL. Anyone that uses the SQL database can knows how any other SQL database that any other company, any other group is producing because it's a common language that everyone knows. And I think we kind of take for granted like all the common open source technologies that we use for building other applications on top of. And by kind of closing, by basically building kind of more closed source systems, um, you're basically incentivizing other companies and other organizations to build their own versions of whatever you're trying to do and ultimately results in, I mean, it could result in, obviously it result in better competition, but it could lead to more security breaches and uh, a less common shared framework between different countries, different parties. And I think Jason Calacanis, he brings up like the notion of movies and how like people in China love watching the Avengers and this, this movie or those movies kind of give, um, you know, the West and Eastern world kind of like a common language to talk about in terms of like, hey, we all both like these kind of movies. It's kind of like a shared understanding and it leads to a more connected kind of world, if you will. Uh, so yeah, that, that was kind of an interesting episode just in terms of the more broader uh, things they talked about in terms of open source and what it means for our society, our culture, and of course for technology. Mm -hmm.